Shout for joy for the Lord desires to be with you. And by his love he will do the work of rebuilding. Can we all sing that together? Shout for joy. Shout for joy for the Lord desires to be with you. By his love he will do the work of rebuilding. Our teaching text this morning comes from the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 through 12, and you can find it on page 448 of the Shed Bible, if you happen to be using one of those today. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shout for joy for the Lord desires to be Friends, it's good to be with you. My name's Tim, and uh, I haven't been here in a few weeks. We, we, had some, we had some sickness come through our household, and I was leading a formation school retreat last weekend, and uh, I'm just, I have a lot of joy and energy to see you, meet some new faces, and uh, I'm, I'm pumped about this, because today we get to celebrate a little bit, but we need to, we need to get one thing straight first. This is not a Thanksgiving sermon. Let's just say it one more time. This is not a Thanksgiving sermon. You may be tempted to draw some parallels, and maybe those are helpful, but this is not a Thanksgiving sermon. Cool? All right, sweet. So what I want you to do in the spirit of not Thanksgiving is close your eyes if you're with me, um, or, or keep them open if you want, and picture the greatest celebration you have ever been at. People are gathered to celebrate something or someone, and this is the best you've ever been to. In your mind, what are you hearing? 
What is it? What are you eating? What are you drinking? What does it taste like? What are some of the emotions that are coming up? What's the, what's the vibe of the room? Let's, let's just do a little, uh, throw some things out there. What, what are you eating at this awesome celebration? What do we got? Pizza. Pizza, that's something. There you go, what else? Prime rib, Prime rib. loving it. One more. Cheese. Cheese. Mmm. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> yeah. Versatile. All right, what, um, what, is, what does the room smell like or feel like? Sm- smell or feel? What do we got? Flowers. Flowers. Leaves? Cheese. Okay, <laughs> that's good, that's good. All right, What's, what are some of the emotions that are coming up at this amazing celebration for you? What do we got? Joy. Laughter. You can hear that, you can feel it, you can participate in it. I love it. This, these are the type of things that Christians ought to be about. We're, we're in this series called Abide. We're looking at these key pieces of the Christian life, practices and dynamics, is friendship and scripture reading and simplicity. And I think that the, the text, the, the Bible is crying out to us saying that celebration is a key discipline of the Christian life. It is profoundly critical to our ongoing formation and discipleship and witness in the world. Even, even this guy, Richard Foster, he wrote some books on, on discipline. He's got a little airtime around here lately. He says, celebration gives us strength to live in all the other disciplines. There needs to be a space where we can cut loose and laugh and drink and have fun and eat cheese. And it's just really good. And participate in laughter and joy and gratitude and frivolity is part of the discipline of the Christian life. And yet, I'll say this, a regular rhythm of celebration, a life punctuated and enriched by serious celebration, is hard. It's harder than it sounds, and I think more necessary than we can imagine. But what do we mean when we speak of celebration, right? We all had these pictures in our minds. But we're talking about things that are called to us in Scripture, emotions and participation in joy, gladness, uh, singing, dancing, merrymaking, and music, feasting, laughing, and sharing stories of God's goodness and joy, paying grateful attention to the faithfulness and goodness of God. So much so, St. Augustine says, the Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot. As if we radiate the appearance of people who participate in celebrations of joy. This discipline of celebration, or we say practice of celebration, it's a practice because it takes practice. Because not all of us are great at it. This practice of celebration is both a posture and a way of life and a specific thing we do and participate in and space we create where we sing, laugh, and dance and feast. A little bit more on that later. So let's get to our text where we start to see some of these dynamics pop up. It's all throughout Scripture, but here we're looking at Nehemiah. This is a, a time in the, the Jewish story where the remnant has returned to Israel from Babylon. 
They're coming back. They're rebuilding both Jerusalem and rebuilding their culture. Kind of feels like a moment like we're rebuilding some stuff now. We're not going back to where we were at 2019, bless you. But also, it's going to be different. We're rebuilding something. There's some culture pieces that we're putting together, both as a church and as a broader culture. So I think it's timely for us. What happens is, is they, they, they get the scriptures, the law, if you will. And they gather all the people together, the prophet Nehemiah and, and Ezra, they, they, these, these folks, they kind of tag team this. They call everybody together and they build this raised wooden platform like a, like a holy deer blind or something. And, and they get on top of it and they read the scriptures and teach from the scriptures for seven days. Hashtag not a TED Talk, right? Seven days they dig in to the scriptures. And here's the result. The people are weeping. They're overcome. Not from guilt, I think, but from from hearing again and again the faithfulness of God recounted in the scriptures, how much God cares about them. We pick up the story here. Ezra the priest and teacher of the law and the Levites were instructing the people, and they said this amidst the weeping. This, and this is, this will be on the screen too. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. This is verse 10. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our God. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. And then all the people went away to eat and drink and send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. It's as if they were so overcome by God's faithfulness, they had nothing to do but to sit and weep at the goodness of God. And the prophet, with a word from the Lord, says, no, we channel that into celebration. For a people who had not had much to celebrate in many, many, many years, they are called to get, I love, I love this, choice meats and sweet drinks. Like, this is the good stuff they're breaking out. And God is inviting them to celebrate lavishly. Because the love of God is lavish and abundant. Even in a season of, of unsureness and rebuilding where they find themselves. And so I think we should take this call to celebrate seriously. Because it's not just a one-piece thing. What, God is, uh, what Nehemiah is inviting them into is, is to celebrate the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles or Sukkot is what they call it in the Old Testament. A, a feast, a celebration that God had set before them hundreds of years prior. And I think God is saying there's a rhythm of celebrating in the Christian life that we need to be about. So we're going to dig into a couple more points of this. Most messages might have two or three points. We're talking about four, maybe five today, because we're talking about abundance, right? Can we do this? Can we hang in there? Okay, here we go. Celebration, this practice, this discipline, reminds us that the story is good. Practicing celebration reminds us that the story we are living in, 
This grand narrative of God is indeed a good story with a good author, and it is going to a good place. This begins Genesis 1 and 2, the beginning of the scriptures, where humanity is created. I would say humanity and the earth is created not out of nothing, but created not out of physical substance, but of an overflow of love and joy and mutuality and gratitude and celebration inside the Trinity. The life of God, Father, Son, and Spirit overflows and gives life to the created world. So our beginnings and the God whose image we bear is good. We are meant to be people who continue to celebrate. So we fast forward a little bit in redemption history. We get to Israel, and they are called out of slavery in Egypt. This is the book of Exodus. They are, they are delivered from slavery by Yahweh, the Lord our God. And when they come into the desert, God is remaking them as a people after 400 years of slavery saying, we, you need new rhythms, new ways of being, new values need to emerge. And reminding them with these feasts and festivals, you were once slaves, you are no longer. Reminding them that the story they live in is good. This happens in Deuteronomy chapter 16. It's a fascinating read. We're not going to have it on the screen, but go back and read it later. Because what God is doing is setting up feasts and festivals for his people. It's like that time in the week, you know, if you do a family calendar, when you're like, oh, we got to do this and go here and drop off kids here. I'll go to this doctor's appointment. I got this thing you got to look at, right? No. It's kind of like that, but way better. Because all God is doing is saying, and then you're going to party here. Then you're going to take all of your blessings. You're going to share them with everybody who doesn't have anything. And you're going to party again. And then you're going to celebrate the goodness of God here. And you're going to give gifts to each other. You're going to receive gifts. And you're going to party because the story is good, and the author of the story is good. In fact, we see this um, in Deuteronomy 16. God sets out, this is what the Passover festival is going to be, right? This is what was being celebrated when Jesus was eating the Last Supper. Now, then he says, this is going to be a festival of weeks. Like, this is going to be weeks long? Maybe, right? It's like my wife has birthday month. Uh, the, <laughs> The festival of, of weeks. God puts this out. This is Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 17, verse 10. Uh, Take a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord has given you and rejoice before the Lord and bring everybody, your sons, your daughters, male and female servants, Levites, foreigners and fatherless and widows living amongst you. Everybody gets in on this celebration because when the people of God celebrate, it blesses the world. And they celebrate. And then it continues. This is the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, which is what is celebrated later in Nehemiah. Be joyful at your festival, it says in Deuteronomy. Your sons, daughters, male and female servants, Levites, foreigners, fatherless, and widows who live in your towns. Bring them together for seven days. Celebrate the festival to the Lord. Celebrate the work of your hands and the blessing of God. God is setting aside time in our yearly rhythms to say it's time to celebrate and remember the goodness of God. It's what we need to continue and sustain the life, the Christian life of discipleship. There's this beautiful, you can do some beautiful work in the Jewish 
uh, festal calendar if you want. But one of the things that comes out of this and comes out of this same need and invitation of God is this Christian calendar, right? It looks like this wheel if you've ever seen one of these things. Delwyn today said, today is Christ the King Sunday, which is on this particular calendar. It, I love this. If you want to hear some of the overflow of my love for this, you can tune into the Seasonal Practice podcast where we dig into some of this stuff. But let me tell you, to say that there is a deeper reality, another calendar that is bigger than our nine to five or your COVID quarantine or the academic calendar of the school year and say God is doing something bigger, larger, and deeper around us at all times and we're invited to participate in that, that's what this is. It gives us opportunity to pause and feast and to celebrate. So uh, listen in or ask more questions. Troy would talk for hours about this if you'd let him. So uh, yeah, tap into that resource. Anyway, celebration reminds us the story is good. Number two, celebration reminds us that God is good. One theologian I was reading this week says this, we will not understand God until we understand this about him. God is the happiest being in the universe. Joy is God's basic character. Joy is his eternal destiny. And God is the happiest being in the universe. Scriptures are shot through with texts pointing to the joy of the Lord. The happiness of God as a key characteristic that gives life to the world. And yet, this is not the God I met initially, and it may not have been the God you were introduced to either. And so a piece of our celebrating is trying to get our picture of God more clear. Now, God does have ways in which God acts in, in holy jealousy, in, in redemptive judgment. He hears the cry of the oppressed. And yet God at God's very being is gracious and joyful. And when we sit at a table with abundant food and drink and laughter and conversation. It's hard to have the judging God in our minds, isn't it? The God who acts angrily and vindictively. Our small pictures of God are challenged by what is in front of us. That what we encounter in the flesh is, in, is pushing against our false narratives of God. And so that is why we celebrate to recognize that, as Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so we get to participate in a constant reframing of a good God that gives us courage that God's grace will meet us every step of the way. Number three, celebration reminds us that we are good. The practice of celebration pushes against our internal narratives of shame and inadequacy, reminds us that our belovedness in Christ and the goodness we have as image bearers of God 
We are the ones in whom Christ dwells and delights. And I feel the tension hearing that because I don't often delight in myself. And I can give you a hundred reasons why you shouldn't delight in me either and that God should not either. And imagine you can do the same. So we ask ourselves this question. What stops you from celebrating? What, what hinders you from throwing a feast or party or living a life of celebration? What kind of hitch is in that for you? What stops you? For some of us, it's, it's, it's a shame that I'm not, I'm not worthy of doing that. I shouldn't throw any parties. If these people or if God had known what I had done or what I am, we wouldn't be celebrating. And for some of us, I think this is very true in, in this West Michigan culture, is that we, we have a sense that we didn't earn a celebration. We didn't work hard enough or long enough to have a break, let alone a party. For some of us, I think there's a voice in our head, maybe it's a, a parent or a, a spouse or a boss that just says, you, you, you didn't work hard enough to party like that. There can't be goodness until this work is done. And while there's a lot to be said about a good, reformed, Protestant work ethic, we could work forever and never earn the grace of God. That's why we call it gift. And so we pause to celebrate when it may feel culturally inappropriate to say we are existing as followers of Jesus on a, on a different calendar, a different set of values. And so we are going to celebrate because God says celebrate. Because the goodness we are pointing to, the gifts and the blessing that we are receiving and giving in these celebrations are not those that come from our employers or our calendars or our bank accounts. What God is doing is so much larger than our shame or inadequacy or cultural norms. God is pointing us through the discipline and practice of celebration into God's life and into God's heart, which transcends these things that always bind us and are in the back of our head. That is why we celebrate. That's why we come every week here. It's still not enough. I want to come to this place table every day. Because every day I am hounded by the voices of shame or inadequacy. Like you didn't quite do enough. And that's why God says, stop. Nehemiah the prophet says, do not weep. This day is holy to our God. So go and have the choicest of meats and sweet drinks and celebrate. It's as if the, the overwhelmingness, the guilt could be there. And he says, no. Instead, we celebrate. God's, yeah, we'll skip that part. Anyway, we celebrate. It was just going to get long, and then people don't feel like celebrating. So, we also have some language of celebration around identity and baptism, right? So, we're going to celebrate some baptisms this coming Easter. So if that's something you've been waiting for or a friend has been waiting for, uh, stay tuned for more details about that. But, be, but we call it a celebration because at a celebration, you point to something larger than yourself. In this case of baptism, an identity that was bestowed upon you and I that 
that isn't ours to hold. God has called us something, sealed upon us his grace and an identity that is worth celebrating. And so may you remember that identity too when we come to this table and every time we celebrate. So those are, those are coming up. All of those things feel defiant to a culture of calendars and expectations and earned PTO, right? And so what I think celebration does, fourth and foremost, it forms in us defiant hope and deep joy. Celebration reminds us that we have hope in a person and hope in the day when all things will be made right, even when today or this season feels long, when the injustice around us feels insurmountable, the diagnosis that we're holding feels daunting or the calendar exhausting, and God's goodness wants to meet us in the middle of that mess and remind us that God is good and worth celebrating. And each time we take a pause to acknowledge those things, to turn our attention to the goodness and abundance of God, what is placed in us is a defiant hope that pushes back against the darkness and the pressures around us, saying, you will not have the final word. And if it takes me leaving in the middle of this mess and pausing and setting a feast, wait, God sets a feast before me in the presence of my enemies, Psalm 23, right? If we pause and gather around the table, hope is restored in our soul around that table as something we do together. I love Psalm 27. It it, it starts off uh, really boldly. It's my favorite psalm of all time. If you've been to a funeral, if I've visited you in a hospital, we have read this psalm together. Because what it does, it says, when the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. So Lord, do not turn me over to the desire of my foes or false witnesses that rise up against me spouting malicious accusations. So in the middle of the mess and chaos, I remain confident of this, the psalmist says, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. To pause and point to the goodness of the Lord, to celebrate in the midst of chaos, puts a defiant hope in our bodies that orients us towards the love of God and sustains us for the journey ahead. Christ the King Sunday. Christ is King every Sunday. But to point to that and say, and to name, Christ is King in the midst of all of this is a practice of celebration. It echoes the words of the hymn, the Lord is King, let the heavens ring. God reigns, let the earth be glad. So it forms in us defiant joy and deep hope. Or sorry, defiant hope and deep joy. Little did Nehemiah know when he uttered these words, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So feast and celebrate. That the place in our brain, it's this little little spot in the right orbital prefrontal cortex called our joy center, 
is the only place in our brain that never loses its capacity to expand as we age. That hardwired into our beings is something that celebration after celebration, our joy is able to expand. As our, our limbs and joints and bodies and voices and even our lungs are fading away over the years, our joy can expand. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not grieve, for this day is holy to the Lord. And so, friends, we can participate wholeheartedly, whole-mindedly, whole-bodily into the practice of celebration. It's what we are hardwired to do. And it can stand up against the three greatest threats to our emotional world. January, February, and March, <laughs> right? So I would, we'll get here in a second, but I would say to you, plan some celebrations, at least three in the next five months, and we can, we can do this. So all things considered, what do we do with this? What's our to-do list uh, after this discipline of celebration? Number one, real practical, throw a feast. What's a feast? It's a big meal. A real big meal. Now, this is something that we do with some regularity if you've been part of our formation school. If you haven't, I invite you to come, especially if you're hungry. Uh, here's one of our recent feasts. The, the, the food table was off to the side. I wish you could have seen it. It was amazing. Anyway, so we throw a feast. A feast is this. You gather some people together. You put your cell phones away. You carve out ample time. And your conversation is to be fueled by joy. A great place to look at some of these details is a book called Recapturing the Wonder by Mike Cosper. Uh, we read that also in Formation School. But he, he says this, attention differentiates feasting from mere consuming. We turn our attention, the eyes and compass of our hearts to the goodness of God in the land of the living, Psalm 27. And at this meal, conversation is driven by joy. There is time and space for everyone. Distractions are set aside, and there is enough. Nobody's counting calories. That's a hard thing to turn off sometimes, isn't it? But, but you sit and are in the presence of abundance and goodness with one another. I'm not saying one of these is going to change your life, like any of these practices, but I do think that if we feast with regularity, God puts inside us something that that rhythm alone can cultivate. Defiant hope and deeper joy reminds us the story is good and that God is good. So throw a feast, make a plan, do one with some friends, with your house church, with your neighborhood, once in January, once in February, once in March. Figure out a way to do it. Even throw some Zoom in there if you need to. Let's do this. Yeah, Zoom. Zoom, yeah. Okay. So that's the practical piece. That puts us in the spirit of Psalm 36. People take refuge in the shadow of your, ring, of your wings, O Lord. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Make a plan. Throw a feast. Open the good wine. Buy brisket. It's real expensive right now. <laughs> yeah, do it. Uh, and, and again, do what, do what works. 
and enjoy the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It will form something in us that will surprise us over time. Number two, this is the more philosophical piece. Uh, practically throw a feast. Secondly, cultivate a posture of celebration in your life. Is there a practice that you can do? Maybe it's morning gratitude. Maybe it's the Ignatian examine prayer. If you want to write that down, Google that. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's simply a pause, sacred pause to say thank you. Or maybe it's a, the gift of encouragement you can give others. What are some things that you can integrate into your daily life that put us in a posture of celebration? In a minute, we'll say, lift up your hearts. How do we lift up our hearts throughout the day to the Lord? And and as the communion liturgy says, at all times and in all places to give thanks. It's what we do. One of these that I have not told, I think, anybody about is about a little over three years ago, I started uh, on our Sunday morning worship gatherings walking around the shed more. And I do it during, during our communion time as well. And I pray the prayers of celebration over every single one of you, every single person I see, to give thanks to the Lord for you. Not just that you are here, but for who you are, the gifts you bring, the insights you have, the way God has carefully made you and curated your story. And I celebrate God's goodness because of you. And it's just one little practice. But what it does inside of me as an unexpected byproduct is instills in me defiant hope and deep joy for what God is doing in this church, in God's kingdom, and in the world. And so what is a posture of celebration that you can begin to take on? Is there a small practice in each day that you can do? I think one of the most formative things that we do as a congregation is come to this table every day week. We rehearse the story that is good. We point to God who is good. We are reminded at this table that we are good. Though we haven't earned it, God is providing for us God's very self. And it instills in us hope and joy for the journey ahead. And so friends, I, I would ask you to stand and let's, with, with kind of all of the joy and chutzpah we can put into our lungs, let's proclaim this story and these prayers together as we celebrate, again, this meal. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let us pray how right and good and joyful a thing it is at all times and in all places to give thanks to you, God, Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. So therefore, Lord, we praise you. We lift our voice in celebration, joining with the ongoing celebration of the host, the angels and archangels, with the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn and proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Amen.
And so friends, we remember what Jesus did in the face of tyranny and certain death. He sat down, he paused to celebrate, naming that he and his disciples were living on a different calendar with different values in a good story. And in the face of that, he sits down and he breaks the bread. He says, this is for each of you. Take and eat. At the end of the meal, he, he takes the cup. He says, this is the new covenant, the new promise in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so we do. We celebrate. And Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit, that you would enliven our hearts. We lift them to you and ask that you would, you would hold them and bring us up into the realms of your glory in this meal that takes place now and in all times and in all places. Would you give us great joy and courage as you fill us with these elements? Would you make them more than just bread and cup for us? That you would make them unto us the communion of the body of Christ. And would you allow us to celebrate with gladness this meal? We ask this in Christ's name. And so friends, you and I together get to live in the greatest story ever told. Centered on the person and work of Jesus. And so let us say this together before we come to the table. We get a chance to rehearse the story. And while you come to the tables around this room, there's prayer walls as well. You can go online, marshall.org slash prayer. Brian's in the back. would love to pray with you. And so is our other prayer leaders in the back. If there's something that God is stirring in you, wanting to use celebration to move against the shame and inadequacy and the never enoughness of our culture, if that's a place where you're stuck, come and pray with us. In the middle of that, we as the people of God hold this story. You ready to say this together? We're ready to celebrate this? Which is three lines. Ready? Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. So come and celebrate, friends. Receive who you are, the body of Christ. Amen.